What's up, guys? I'm glad you're here. My name is Drake, and you're listening to the Double Click Podcast by Holy Hill Media. Today, I'm joined with Steve Detray from Freedom Path Planning. We discuss the character necessary for a successful long-term business. We discuss how to prepare for the sale of your company and a few things that a buyer would be interested in seeing to be able to give you an offer for your company. And we also discuss just a few ways to mitigate the risk of financial failure for small businesses. Stay tuned. Obviously, you know, we've known each other now for what, three, four months? Probably. Something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Something like that. You know, one of the things that I really appreciate about you is your intentionality 100%. And of course, man, I mean, the conversations that we've had at our networking group that Brent invited me to, just your, just the interjection when I bring up the things that I need, you know, some assistance with, some insight with, then reaching out afterwards and meeting separately at Mancho's Lounge, all these things, right? I mean, just the, even the way that you carry yourself and you converse, man, intentionality is a huge part of your person, it seems, man. Where does that come from? So I don't know where exactly it comes from. I'll be honest, it's hit me in the last probably three to five years of, you know, our pastor always says, you know, everybody ends up somewhere. Few people end up somewhere on purpose, right? So I think probably even when he was saying that from stage, I was going, you know, that's right. I want to end up somewhere on purpose. I know we've talked about this in the past, but like, you know, everybody's journey is their own journey, right? Too many people are trying to follow everybody else's journey, right? Nice to look at other people's journey and then, you know, say, oh, I like that. I don't like that. But is that going to fit into my journey or exactly. not just chasing somebody else's journey? But just that, just being intentional. I think part of it's having four kids, you know, being intentional on helping them navigate as much as I can. Yeah. How old are they now? So I've got a eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 20-year-old. Oh, you got a spectrum, man. Yep. Are they different in personality? I don't have any, so I'm always interested in this. Yes. It's funny because they are all completely different, yeah. right? So my 20-year-old, she's in, she's at Ohio State right now. Cool. The okay. 18-year-old is technically, it's a senior year. He's at the community college. Okay. Well, he was there all year for his senior year. He just finished up, I think he said Tuesday. And then, so he's actually enlisted in the Marines. So he gets shipped out for basic, I think it's June 20th or 19th, oh, some, one of those two days. That's awesome, man. And then the, the younger two, like my 10-year-old going to be 11 here next month. It's funny having conversations with him because he is like so insightful. Like he is like a sponge. It's funny because you don't think kids are hearing everything that you're talking about, right? <laughs> and he'll bring something up and I'm like, this, this should not be coming from a 10-year-old. Like I've had conversations, honestly, I've had conversations with 30 and 40-year-olds going, this kid's got half of it figured out that, you know, I mean, just common sense stuff that just blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And then he is what, how old now? He's Which 10. He's, he's a 10 year old. He's in fifth grade. Would you say your 10 year old's the wisest comparison to ages for your kids? You know what's funny? I expose the rest of your kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's funny because the obviously the older ones, they've gone through things and he, both him and my younger daughter will go, oh, yeah, I remember when Madison or Evan did this. I don't want to do that. Like, I remember how you reacted, dad. Nope, I don't want to. It's like they learned, they learned from what the older ones did. So I think it was wise of them to actually pay attention going, yep, I don't want to get dad that bad. <laughs> <laughs> and in our house, it's like there's two things that we just don't tolerate, lying and disrespect. 
Not everything else we can pretty much work through. But yeah. when you lie and you're being disrespectful, just there's a very short rope there, right? Yeah. But yeah, I would say he's the one that really, it's funny how he just will think about things. And then yeah. he'll go, hey, what about this? Yeah. And like you get him in a car ride and he loves going car rides. Like if I go to Fort Wayne or whatever, he'll go along with me. And it's just me and him in this car for an hour there and an hour back. And he'll just start asking questions. You know, I mean, he's 10 and he's asking, well, how does car insurance work? You know, <laughs> where did that come from? I don't know, but we'll go down that path. Let's, let's Yeah. You know, and he just really will start asking like really intelligent questions. But yet they're all different all unique in their own way yeah were you like that as a kid what was it like growing up man i mean you're a local guy so tell me about just coming up and what it was like for you as a kid and obviously now owning freedom path yeah so i grew up on a farm so it was and my dad grew up on a even more of a farm farm right so it was like a working farm where they had cattle and stuff so ours is more the field type deal still had animals and Coming from the farmer background, I think this is where I kind of get my work ethic from. It's, you know, my dad would give us a list. I, I look at my kids and my wife and I, same kind of background, but she would have a list of, you know, during the summer, her mom would leave her and her sister a list of like half a page. You get this chores, chores, right? And my kids, they do have chores, but it's like, dude, it's going to get you 20 minutes of work a day. I'm like, I would have killed for that. <laughs> right. right? Mowing our yard alone took like three and a half hours. But and yeah, yeah. And, and country properties. Yeah. yeah. And then it was I was driving a tractor, it which a lot of people probably blow their mind, but like I've got a third grader. Like when I was in third grade in the summer, I was driving a tractor by myself working a field. That's awesome and scary. I know. At I, the same time. <laughs> I look back on it going, my mom goes, I go, You realize I was driving a tractor. I was on one tractor. I think it was I was dragging the field. My brother was on another tractor and he was only two years older than me disc in the field we're in the same field and i'm like i'm thinking that, that so i've got the same age group going my fifth grader yeah i probably could let him at any point in time you two could have totally like played chicken yes with these huge expensive pieces of equipment and you just been kids and drag racing <laughs> and you know not that you can go that fast on a tractor right. but yeah i look back and i go I look at my eight-year-old and I go, yeah, I don't think I'd let her drive a tractor right now. I don't think I'd let her drive a, ah, she might drive a riding lawnmower, but yeah. that means that type of thing going. And my mom, I go, you realize when I was Mia's age, I was driving a tractor, farming field. She goes, I don't think I ever even knew that. Oh. My dad would just go, come on, let's go. <laughs> my mom had no idea what was going on, which is funny. But so that's kind of growing up and the older we got, and I think, you know, Obviously, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I think where I could have done better with even my older kids was really not giving them a step-by-step. -step. Like, you know, here's what I want you to do. And then how do I do it? And then I kind of step-by-step the whole thing. Where growing up on a farm, honestly, it's all you figured out. It's like, here's the job I want you to do. Go do it. You know, and my dad was really good at giving us those jobs and giving us that, I guess, leeway. Of if you don't do it right or you don't do it perfect, as long as you're trying to figure it out. Yeah, now, if right. you do something really stupid, you know, you're going to get chewed out. Right. right. <laughs> but he created an opportunity for you guys to have some sort of ingenuity, some sort of problem solving ability. Do you feel like that transcended into your adulthood? Yeah, 100%. And that's Hard where, work and ingenuity. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. Just yeah. try and do something instead of just sitting there going, I need somebody to tell me what to do. Yeah. That's not going to love that. That's empowering. Out. I love that. Yeah. And I'm trying to do it more 
with my younger ones because I can see that, oh, I guess I, and just kind of easier to, it is always easier, just do it yourself, right? You want to clean up the kitchen, right? All my kids have had chores of one of them's got to do the dishes, the other one sets the table and clears the table, right? And they switch on and off, right? And it's so much easier and I can do it so much better. My wife can do it so much better. We can clean the kitchen ourselves, right? Because we've been doing it for a lot right. of years. The kids are, especially eight and 10 years older, it's like, yeah, you didn't do that great of a job. But if you keep doing it for them, how are they going to learn? They're not going to get better. Right. You know? Right. And I see that too many, and not even younger generations or whatnot, but where parents just want to do everything for them. So I'm trying to be intentional yeah. about letting them, giving them freedom of just, hey, here's what I want you to do. Try and figure it out. You know, and then it even goes back to how I kind of do that is, hey, here's what I want you to do. And then they come back. What about this? Or how do I do this? What was what did you try so far? Well, I didn't. Oh, we're gonna go try something. And <laughs> right. they come back to me, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think all of that, and I look back on it just problem solving on everything. And too many people are like, I need somebody to tell me what to do. Yeah. You know, try something. Something's better than nothing. 100 percent I mean, you look at what did um Thomas Edison say about the light bulb? I didn't fail. I, I found yeah. ten thousand reasons what or ten thousand ways that it doesn't work. Yeah. Until I found I love the the right one, right? But too many people are going to quit after one, two, three, or not even try because nobody told them, here's what I want to do. And it kind of goes back to that journey, trying to follow somebody else's journey. Well, I'm going to see his roadmap. That was his journey or her journey, right? Yeah. And it's interesting because this term of this term resilience has been echoing in my brain the last three to four months, especially having launched the podcast and being in January so much in common between all of the successful entrepreneurs that we've interviewed, including yourself and this mindset of resilience. You push forward, we solve the problem, we work hard. This There's some very basic elements that I've seen becoming foundational in the, in the lives of successful entrepreneurs. I love that. I love finding the common ground because it really is some of the simple stuff. Yeah. Work hard. Don't bring a problem to the table without a solution. Be willing to learn. Be willing to suck at something early and work your way to good. You know, all of these different things. And I think all of these things, they end up evolving from habit all the way from doing your chores, farming the field at 10 years old in a tractor you probably shouldn't have been driving. <laughs> More than likely. <laughs> right. So growing up, man, fast forward a little bit, high school, you know, you, you know, you're a business owner now and you've been a wealth manager prior. But what was it like in high school and college finding what you wanted to do because if it's anything like me i had no idea what i wanted to do until i was like 23 24 i tried it but i wasn't sure by 25 i knew okay this is where i'm at but to be honest with you some people aren't quite as lucky as i was even at 25 to figure out what they want what was the process like finding your passions at such a young age and how did you start to approach them so when i was in high school all the way through from the time I can remember till I think I was probably about 14, 15 years old, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Right. Don't know why. Me I, that I just wanted to be a veterinarian. By 14, 15, my mom kind of started. She's been doing accounting and tax planning for pretty much my whole life. I think she started her business, I think, when I was one or two. Oh, okay. So, she owned her own business. Yeah. Okay. Still to this day does the taxes. And so she ended up from the tax business, she ended up transitioning into wealth management. And uh, so that kind of took off from her and I was looking at it going, Oh, that actually sounds interesting. Cause I always liked math. Yeah. So then the more I learned about it, I'm like, Oh, you know what? I guess I can see myself doing that. 
Well, when I was in college, the goal was by the time I went to college was to start somewhere else, get some experience and then join her firm. Yeah. Right. Right before I was done with school, she's like, hey, I just want to let you know we've got some things going on right now. So it's either you join the firm now or. I don't know if there's going to be a spot until way in the future. And how old are you at this time? I was 22. Okay. 22. So I was like, okay, let me think about it. And so that summer, I moved from Toledo because I was going to school up there and I moved from Toledo back home and kind of was there for 15 years. Got you. Okay. So that would then put you at around 37 by the time you were leaving or transitioning out. And let me ask you this, how you were co-running that with her all the way up to not long ago, right? Yeah, so I was pretty much, by the time I left, I was running all day-to-day. I was running all marketing. How long ago was that to date? Let's see. I left. I sold out of my portion in 2019. Okay, okay. Is your mom... Oh, my gosh. I think I ran into your mom. at. Did she go to Dark Horse? Yeah. I ran into her a summer night a long time ago, and we just connected around a bonfire. It was my wife, her, probably my dad, your dad, nice older guy, kind of quiet, just cracked some jokes from time to time. But he, she was talking just about finance and planning, and she gave me her card, and she was talking about her son. I'm just putting one and yeah. two together right now, man. I know your mom, man. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Nice. So 30, 37 years old, all the way to like 2019, I'm exiting, and that is a huge decision, man. Yep. Like, obviously, she's still going. Like, that's yep. a successful business. And yep. it's a still growing business, even in yep. a weird time in the economy the last three years. Yeah. What was it like considering the exit? And if you could, because this is so much of what you do, can you talk to us about the exit? You know, like, even practical things like finding a buyer. What does, how long does it last? What does it mean to have your ducks in a row to sell a portion of your com- of the company? Yeah. So, a little bit of the journey. I would say three years prior, I was looking at it's like, I just didn't feel like it was the fit, right? And so there'd be times I'm going, you know what? I'm going to do something else. And my wife was like, no, no, you're not. No, it's not the right time, right? And fast forward, so this was like an ongoing thing for like every so many years or every other year, or every year I was, something would come up. Like, you know what? I just, I didn't feel as fulfilled. The whole fun of, family-owned businesses, right? So you have that issue as well, or challenges. And so looking at it, I I had this other opportunity doing what I'm doing now. And so it was kind of ran in the same line of what we were doing anyway. And at the time I was looking at, honestly, I was looking at doing what I'm doing now, but I was going to do it for like financial advisors Mm because they are about the worst of exit planning. The, The running joke is you ask a investment advisor, financial advisor, when they're around 65, you ask them, hey, what's your plans for retirement? Well, in about five years, I'm going to start slowing down, right? Go follow back up with them in five years when they're 70, ask them that same question. So what's your time frame now? On about five years. It's always five years. It's a rolling five years. And what happens more times than not, I've read plenty of studies, is most financial advisory practices don't even go, don't even sell for what they were going to, what they could have sold for. Main reason is because by the time the owner, the financial advisor, wants to sell, something happened. Usually it's a health issue, something like that, that it's 
forcing them now to sell and they didn't have any planning involved in there. So it's when you look at it from, and this is kind of what I'm doing now is when it taking a owner and most owners think of it and think of their business in terms of being a seller, right? That's the side of the table they're on. But my job now is to get owners to think of their business, one, as an asset, but two, as a buyer would think of it, right? Put yourself in a position or your business in a position that is going to look nice to a buyer, which really, when you look down, it boils down to risk. How much risk am I going to be in to buy your business, right? So I was really trying to figure out a way to start a RIA, which is a registered investment advisory. And the main thing behind that, I was going to be looking for advisors and have actually a built-in exit plan or options. I'm big, big on options, right? Flexibility. I also like flexibility. So looking at that from a financial advisory point of view, I was sitting there thinking about it going, I could do this just for financial advisors, which is, I will call it a small pond. And then the more I got into the exit planning for them, and we were doing this for business owners as well, but the more we're looking at it for, I guess, a larger scale for financial advisors, I've seen a huge need for most business owners. They don't, they're usually so busy with their head down doing work, you know, that they don't even think about, oh, I didn't even realize there was an exit plan or I should be planning an exit. Now I look at it from where I try and have owners look at it from the day you start your business, start with the end in mind. Yeah. Right. I like that. You're going to, you're going to transition eventually, whether you want to or not, none of us are going to live forever. Right. You don't want to play catch up later on. And you've even taught me that more or less is saying, Hey, listen, let's, even if you don't have, you know, that, that end date in mind, like I need to sell right right now. You don't even need to see the horizon quite now, quite yet, but so much of what you do and that you've taught me in the time that we've known each other has been really just healthy practices for a business, lowering risk and creating vitality in a company, like lasting productivity and again, mitigating that risk. So not to interrupt you, but I think that conversation is important for people, even if they aren't ready or planning to sell. Yeah, because you never know what's going to happen. For sure. You know, you're very young. What happens if life circumstances happen, yeah. right? Nobody's immune to like cancer or a car accident. Don't put that on me, so, man. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. But it, it's not even just the business owner. It, it's your spouse too. What happens if they get sick? Or you have kids. When you have kids, what happens if they get sick? You know, there's just, it, it puts it all in perspective. Yeah. So part of my main job is really to make sure that the business has what it's ne- what it needs. Yeah. But the owner has a good perspective of priorities and making sure, hey, if I had to sell it, I'm not, I'm not having a fire sale. That's back to your options. Yes. It doesn't mean you have to sell, but would you rather have a company that's sellable? That's either sellable or even getting offers. Mm. It doesn't mean you have to take the offer. That's true. Right? Hey, it's nice to know somebody just offered me a million dollars for my business. Somebody just offered me $5 million. I actually, when I first got into this, I had a company. I think I was in it for about a year and a half, two years. And I had a company, an investor, was actually like the marketing because the team I had were very, we'll put aggressive. They okay. just constantly <laughs> followed up. And he goes, I don't even know how. He called me personally, didn't even respond to them. Called me personally. He goes, I don't even know how they even got my information because I'm not easy to find. He goes, but I'll be honest. I 
the only reason I decided to call you and look into you because they just kept they on at it. They wouldn't <laughs> stop. And I'm like, it's good to know. Thanks. Yeah. But he was offering me money. And I'm like, it hit me again going, yeah, even my business at the time wasn't where I wanted it to be going. But it just reinforced the idea of, okay, yeah, just because you're not here, it doesn't have to be perfect. But what steps am I taking now, which I definitely follow what I preach, right? Really big on me personally, not doing the 50, 60 hour work weeks, right? Unless it's a one off. It's like, oh, this, there's a time crunch, but right. that shouldn't happen with proper planning, right? Yeah. yeah. So to go back to the original story of the journey was now I had this more, I guess, bigger pond, more like an ocean now that yeah. nobody's really serving the small to middle market. And so I was really thinking about it. And the group that I was with, that I was clearing investments through, they're like, listen, I'm going to be honest. We know what you're doing, especially when we were doing tax credits and specialized tax credits and some other stuff. And we're like, we know what you're doing, but compliance wise, everything has to clear through us. And since you would be the only one doing it, because let's be honest, there's not a whole big market. Not it, There's a big market, but there's not a whole lot of people doing it. Right. 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 So they were like, Here's their choice. You can either decide not to do that or you start your own RIA and then the compliance is on you or you go out on your own and do whatever you want to do. I was like, oh, so then I talked to my wife then and she's like, okay, let's now talk about it because it was a little bit different, you know, God's timing, right? And I actually... So I didn't just, you know, oh, yep, let's sell, let's be done and let's start this new business. I actually went and had conversations with people that I knew, that I knew and respected, that actually were in the business world, transitioned out of the business world into a whole nother industry and really high level guys. And so I said, hey, what was your process to make sure you're not just saying, oh, I, you know, it's just a whim, right? That in my case is like, I want to make sure that this is God's path for me. Okay, you know, walking through it. And the nice thing is you find people like that. They're not going to try and talk you into or out of anything. Just, hey, here's what I did. But here's the checklist. If any of these on the checklist was no, then it's no. Right. So went through that same checklist that he did and then went through it with my wife. And she's like, OK, I'm good. And I was like, OK, if she's saying I'm good, then it's got to be good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so marriage and entrepreneurship, man. But you know what? The funny thing about that is I've seen it too many times where like a business owner, whether female or male, do not get their opinion of their spouse. And their spouse obviously has a very vested interest in your success or failure, right? 100%. They, whether they want to or not, their ship is tied to your ship. You go down, they're going down. So they most people think it's like, I'm not going to bounce it off of her or him because they just don't get it. But at the same time, they're going to be the most for you, right? Because they're also for themselves, if you think about it that way. But, and they don't want to see you fail. But having, you know, obviously I've got a wife, so you have that woman's intuition of she might not even know certain things, but nope, I don't have a good feel on it. Okay, that whole house divided. You know, there's going to be just being a business owner, any business owner, there's no, I have yet to find a perfect business and I have yet to find a business. There's nothing, there's no 
highs and lows. If you're going through a low, it's a whole lot easier to go through that low when you were both on the same page of instead of, oh, I told you, yeah, told you not to do it. You know, yeah, it's open communication, right? Yeah. Which is another staple for successful entrepreneurship, successful relationships in general, communication. It's another element that I've found to be consistent between all of the successful people that I've been able to interview is they're good communicators. And they're honestly like one of the things that I think that's even deeper than that. And again, not to digress, but one of the things that's even further and deeper, and I think even more impactful than that is it's very aware communication. Like a lot of the business owners I've been following, again, Rob Deerdeck or Bob Dalton from Sackcloth and Ashes, they have this relentless awareness, self-awareness to where it forces them to communicate and collaborate because they see their blind spots conversation with you. You know, we're working together to create vitality in Holy Hill Media to mitigate the risk and make Holy Hill as strong and, you know, and as evergreen as possible. Right. And, you know, it's because I realized like I'm not, that's not my gifting. It's not my forte to do, you know, the strategic financial planning for these types of things at a high level. I'm not, but, you know, again, in that same conversation, it does end up circling back to the home. It circles back to your office. It circles back to your friends. Because if anybody's been in entrepreneurship for anything over a year, they get like, they probably lost friends. Yep. <laughs> you know, you've probably pissed off a family member. Yep. You know, on and on. But the last one you want to piss off is your wife or your spouse. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. But it's how do you deal with that? Yeah, that's good. Right. That's good. And my wife's the best. I, God couldn't have picked a better person for me. And she says the same thing for me to her. But she's really good of doesn't hold grudges. Like, I don't know a person that's better at it than her. Like, because I have a tendency to, you know, especially in my younger days, I did some stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> Repeated and stupid yeah. things, to be honest with you. Did it have anything to do with the tractor? No. Well, no, 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 no tractor. tractor. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you thought about going down that alley, didn't you? No. Well, <laughs> I've done some pretty stupid things on the tractor. I've got story upon story of stupid things. But no, she's really good about 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 forgiving and leaving it in the past. She doesn't bring stuff up. I kind of learn from her example, and I don't bring stuff up either. So it's, and we're really good on and taught the kids this too, especially my younger ones. Liam, my 10-year-old, if they do something, he's really good of going, hey, dad, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Will you forgive me? Oh, wow. And it's, and it's one of those things where, I'm, my wife could do something that just makes me so mad. And she's like, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I'm like, why do you have to say I forgive you? You know, I have to. <laughs> and it's one of those things. So I don't know. It's that fear of God in me that and in the Bible, it says, you know, if you don't forgive somebody, there's then God won't forgive you. And I'm like, well, I do enough stupid things. I need you to forgive me. <laughs> yeah, right? right. And so when she says that, I'm looking at her, I'm like, why would you do that? Let me be angry for a little bit longer. And she's like, but will you forgive me? I'm like, yes. <laughs> and then it, the funny thing is, I it's like, it just goes away. Tension goes away. It, it goes away. I can't be mad anymore. I, so my 10-year-old's really good at it. He's like, you know, he did something a couple months ago. Did something that really drove me up a wall. And usually he doesn't, but he did something. And I think it was a repeated thing. And I was mad. And he's like, Dad, will you forgive me? I go, but yes. But I'm still so mad. And he goes, but what would Jesus do? And I'm oh, like, and I'm like, I'm like oh, <laughs> You're right. You're right. But like he just diffuses the situation. Ah, yeah. That is hilarious, man. And and I tell you what, man, this is 
I've got a problem with this too, man. When I'm mad, I want to be mad. You know what I mean? I want to. I want you to know for a little while. I want you to feel it. You need to suffer. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But the idea is like the ego protects pride, right? And so I'm angry. I deserve to be angry. You deserve to be to feel with me being angry, right? But is it not so funny from the mouth? Granted, he's ten, but from the mouth of babes, brother. Yeah. That the humility, dude. That first of all, you've done right with that young man. That's amazing. But he also knows. He's like, I know how to find dad. I know how to. I mean, there's humility there, bro. Yeah, and I will say now. Now, I think you brought something up a little bit ago, but even in leadership is, and this is what I've taught the kids is that whole respect and disrespect is like just own your stuff, which he owns his stuff. Like, hey, I'm sorry, I screwed up. You know, it's just been. And that's what I told him, even with the older ones, like, you know, they, if they did something wrong or somebody did something wrong to me, not even family member, yeah, it's, they're not even owning it. Oh, I had a part to play in whatever it is, probably. Yeah. You know, and he's really good of, you know, he's not, doesn't make excuses. Both of them, him and the youngest one, they don't make excuses. It's, hey, here's, now the older ones are doing the same thing. Yep. You're right. I, sorry. I screwed up. Yeah. They real, the younger ones especially realize that diffuses dad real quick. Like I could be really mad and then it's like, hey, I'm sorry. I did this. I will try not to do it again. Okay, perfect. Then, you know, you got it. I don't have to be mad anymore. It's like, then I'm fine again. You got to figure out, I guarantee you people are going to have questions of how you get your kids to talk like that, man, because that's not typical. No. That's not normal, man. You're doing a good job, man. That's awesome. It goes back to that intentionality. Yeah. Just constantly. Yeah. And you can't do that working. 80 hours a week. That's 60 go, hours. Oh, shoot. Let's go there, man. Because somebody recently was on the pod. Edwin Chow mentioned it. I think episode 18 and then episode 20, Josh Rains mentioned it. Cultivating intentionality, cultivating the life, the environment, the community, the business that you want. Not wishing for it, not hoping for it, not complaining you don't have it. Not even reading a thousand books, but cultivating active movement intentional movement of building block by block, piece by piece to create the foundation that's sustainable for whatever goal you have for that thing. Again, that could be your kids, that can be your business, that could be your relationship with your wife, that could be your physical health, whatever the case might be, but cultivating, it's the intentional movement, right? And, you know, even thinking about the, what you just brought up as far as, you know, it's more or less countering the hustle culture, right? Yeah. And social media perpetuates and rewards the hustle culture content. Work hard. Go sleep on your friend's apartment door. Eat crap until you've made the you know, if, you know, the ramen to, uh, wait, what is it? There's a phrase, something like, you know, ramen to lobster, whatever the case might be. But you don't have the middle ground. You eat crap until you're ready to eat the best, right? But at what cost? Yeah. At what cost? And I really do believe that there's something to be said about the divorce rate for successful entrepreneurs is absolutely insane. Yep. Startup founders, absolutely insane. On and on, right? And I just, I want to know, because you're intentional with your relationships, where is that middle ground? Because at the same time, listen, man, I'm... Two weeks ago, I just put in an 80 hour week, right? Um, and that wasn't, that's not even the, the biggest week I've ever had. And I know you know how it goes, but like it, it, sometimes it's necessary to put it in. Sometimes it's necessary to stay late and, you know, shut the office down. It's sometimes it's necessary to hustle. Yep. 
where's the line, man? Where's the line before you start to compromise the things that really matter down the road? And is that a priority problem? Or is that just a character, like a, some sort of character flaw? I think everybody's different. Like, I really don't think there's a one size fits all. I do believe it's a priority issue as well. But at the same time, every relationship's different. Everybody's needs, you got that five love languages. So everybody's needs are different, right? But I will say, for me, going all the way back to the being intentional, I look at it and going, and we talk, success is most people's term of success is usually finances, whatever that is, a house, car, money in the bank, job with, or business with certain level of income. That's all great. But then they get wrapped up in that's the be all and end all. And that's just a moving target, right? You get to six figures. Great. That's nice. That's what I dreamed about. And then when you get there, it's like, oh, it wasn't as much as I cracked up to be, right? I was thinking that's going to change my life. Probably makes things a little bit easier, but then now I get to mid six figures. And then the target just keeps on moving. And then you get in this chasing some obscure definition of success when in the whole time, nobody from my recollection has ever gotten to their deathbed and go, man, I wish I could have spent another day in the office. <laughs> and on the other side of it too, let's just say you, you're not a business owner. Nobody has ever said from upper management going, I'm glad you spent another three hours in the office. Right? But I'm sure your kids would go, oh, it was nice when dad, it was nice when mom came home and had dinner with us as a family. That was yeah. a priority. Like catch with us at night. You know? Yes. You know, I, and that's just one of our, it's been, luckily my wife and I both were on the same page of this, is growing up, dinner was always a family dinner, right? Awesome. It wasn't, you know, when I was in football, unless I was like really late, my mom would basically hold off on dinner and everybody would eat when I got home. And it's like, I'm sorry guys. Golden yeah. child. Yeah. <laughs> So it was that type of thing. And so we just kind of did the same thing. And it's funny because my oldest, you know, one of her friends would always be like, you guys eat dinner like as a family every day? She's like, yeah, every day. That's we got awesome. other friends that, you know, and we love to cook. And we got, and when we cook for people, we put on a huge spread, right? And they're like, do you guys eat like that every day? And my 18 year old, he's like, yeah, pretty much we like that every day. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. There ain't no <laughs> way. Adopt me? Yeah, right, right. yeah, pretty much. I've had their friends, you know, we've had families come over and they're like, yeah, hey, I'll be back. They're in college. I'll be back in town this time. So if you want to, if you guys want to have us for dinner, I'm like, but I love it. I love it. But sorry, I went down a little rabbit hole. You're but, good, man. But going back to where's that line? Everybody's going to be different. So in your stage in life, you don't have kids. So you have a little bit more freedom. You also can't neglect your wife, right? Let's just say you're saying you can't neglect your health or you shouldn't neglect your health because if you don't, if you do neglect your health, there's a, read a quote in a book that said, either you spend the time staying healthy now or you're going to spend the time dealing with your sickness in the future. Good. Right? That's good. So me personally and my wife's the same. We've always dream of, not, I'll probably never retire, but dream of the golden age when all the kids got four, obviously. So when all the kids are out of the house and you've been parent for so long, it's like, oh, we got different freedom. But I don't want to get to that stage and go, oh, sweet. Now I have time freedom. But I don't have the health freedom. Like I can't go, let's just say go into, I think my parents went to Italy one time. My mom had hip, re both hips replaced. I think she finally got her knee done. She had back surgery. So all kinds of health issues, right? 
and there's obviously a lot of stairs you go to europe from what i understand i haven't been but there's so many stairs and there's a lot of things she couldn't do and even me when i go i try and do get away eating for business just myself like no distractions for a yeah, couple days telling me that before and i went down to hocking hills the last time and i would every day i'd go hike one of their trails and i'm just sitting here going man my mom wouldn't be able to even hike this just because she can't walk that far she definitely can't do some of the stairs because some of it's pretty steep and i never want to get to that place where i neglected my health because i'm chasing some let, let's be honest the moving target yeah. if you're chasing finances it just is it never it's never enough it's never enough it, once you get there you're like oh this is nice but you know I, now i can do this exactly right so i think it's going to be different for everybody i was at one point in my younger days because raising the, my older kids, and it's like, oh, it would be nice when I'm in that season. So I had friends that their kids were a little bit older or they didn't have kids and they had all this freedom. I'm like, I was wishing for a season in the future, which which was wrong because just enjoy the season you're in. You're going to be in a new season eventually. Yeah. Right. So the whole priority and a lot. And I think it goes back to especially for business. Owners, those are the ones that usually are throwing in a lot of hours. Right. Yeah. It'll go back to. It's kind of what my company focuses on is really to get business owner to think of their business as an asset. Too many of them almost view it as one of their kids, yeah. right? This is my baby. I created this. I put my blood, sweat, and tears. I've sacrificed. And a lot of it, you're sacrificing time with family, time with friends, time with for your health, vacations, all of that, because this is my be-all and this is my life. It's that whole, you ask somebody, are you a do you say you're a business owner or you own a business? Huge difference there. Very true. So you look at that and going, okay, if you get the right perspective of my business is just an asset, right? And I go back to, so coaching. So you have, if you have a 401k or an IRA or investments, because obviously that was my world before, usually you pay a financial advisor or somebody to manage that asset, right? Correct. Usually around 1%. So they manage it. If you own rentals, Usually have a property manager. Once you get big enough, then they manage it. You look at Olympic athletes. They could do whatever their event is or their skill is. They probably don't need a coach, but every single one of them has a coach. Right? But when it comes to the businesses, most business owners don't have anybody managing their business and seeing what's going on in the business, what can be, or coaching it, helping it. So yeah, so I would say it goes, it really just goes back to the perspective of, hey, if now I, I look at my business as an asset, would I be giving up date night with my wife or time with my kids for my 401k, right? right. Would I be going, oh, I got to watch the market. I got to get on Yahoo Finance and make sure my stocks are doing good. No, nobody would be doing that. But when it comes to the business, it's like, oh no, I got to be working eight hours a week. I got to be working 100 hours a week. Yeah. And I think what it really comes down to when you're working that hard is a lot is just you haven't found out how to be efficient, right? You haven't found the right systems or the right people in place. Granted, there's a there's growing periods where the business requires more from you, whether that's time, capacity or finance, whatever the case might be. But, you know, one of the things and I think this is, would be a good segue to talk about your business now, but I want to take a step back for a split second and I want to refer to a quote that you mentioned before we started the podcast, but you said health is a crown on your head only the sick can see. Yeah. And 
when we talk about priorities and we talk about you don't know what you're missing until you're missing it, right? I really want to I really want to have a little bit more of a conversation around health is a crown on your head only the sick can see because you don't appreciate it when you're healthy. Yeah. And I think the same I think the you know the, this quote can also be paralleled to your relationships. Not just your physical health, but your mental health, your you know, your friends, your family members, all these things, right? This comes down to priorities and I understand that different people in different seasons have different priorities. I believe it's super important to do inventory of priorities at least twice a year, at least twice a year. And I would love to hear your input on this and how this kind of all permeates in the same conversation. But when we refer to health as a crown on your head, only the sick can see. How many of the people that you're working with on a day-to-day basis, you know, the business owners, are more or less trying to play catch up because they misprioritize earlier in their career? I'd say majority. Really? I, I'd say majority. And, and it's not, it, Wow. like every, it doesn't matter to the industry, right? There's stress being an owner, right? You got to yep. worry about payroll. You got to worry about sales. You got to worry about marketing. You got to, I mean, you got to worry about everything, right? And I'm not a health professional or anything like that, but stress is linked to so many health issues. 100%. So many. My grandma had dementia, like, and you ask her, so if, the good news is she probably should have passed well before. But you, if you asked her, she's passed now. But if you asked her, hey, grandma, do you have any health issues? Nope. Healthy as a horse. And you just gave her a handful of pills. I'm like, what's the pills for? I don't know. They just tell me to take them. They might be vitamins. And it literally had no stress at all because there's nothing wrong with her. Oh, my gosh. It's a mind you know? game. It controls it's, the body. Yeah. Man. I love that. What was your grandma's name? Dorothy. Dorothy. Oh, perfect. That's a perfect name for that person. too. I love that. Sorry to hear about it, man. No, it's good. It's good. She had a great life. But it, it just, I'd say it goes all back to stress. No matter what, you're going to be dealing. None of us get out of this alive, right? And usually somebody, either yourself or somebody in your immediate family is going to have some kind of health issues. Hopefully not the crazy ones, right? But at the same time, you're going to be dealing with something. Yeah. Right? So you either take care of your health now or you're going to play catch up taking care of your health in the future. When ideally you either sold your business or you're retired and you have more time freedom because you're in a whole and ideally more money freedom, but nobody can tell me you get a cancer diagnosis or something of that nature that is incurable. I don't care if you're a billionaire, you can't buy your health at that point if it's uncurable. So when you think about that, and so this is kind of the journey I've been on is helping keep things in perspective. What's priority? Where do I need to be intentional? Is, you know, you hear stories of kids getting cancer. I just heard this last week that there's actually a worse worse diagnosis than you've got cancer is your kids got cancer, right? So you think about that and it's like, you know, a lot of people will avoid that uncomfortable thought process, which... I don't like having it either, but I'm going, okay, I know I'm not immune to it or my kids are not immune to it, but would I rather be intentional about while they're here and healthy now? And if they did get cancer, you know, which would really suck, but if they did, I wouldn't have any regrets by, oh, I wish I would have spent another 40 hours in the office. I wish I'd have brought on two more clients. You know, that will never cross my mind. Yeah. And you know, I'm writing this down right now, but 
I got two questions for you, man. The first one is <laughs> you'd be a billion trillionaire if you could answer this question, but how do you not stress, man? Like, you, you, you know, we're talking about, you know, a lot of these people that you're working with own major assets that are, there's some serious implications of not doing something correctly or taking a finger off the pulse, not working laid out, whatever the case might be. How do you not stress? And from what I hear you saying, which is awesome that you hold this perspective, especially as young as you are, that your priorities are typically going to be the fundamental reason for either the presence or lack of stress. What am I prioritizing? And am I giving my time to the things that I find as priorities? And if I'm doing that, I stress less. They matter more, so this matters less. Is that your perspective? 100%. And you look at, you brought up, you know, coaching business owners, right? I can't remember who it is. There's one of the CEOs of one of the Fortune 50 companies, but he went on to say it's, it's almost impossible to fail completely. The only way to fail completely is to give up, give up yeah, right? Yeah. So if it's almost impossible to fail completely, then what am I stressing about? Dang, that's good. Right? You're going to mess up. I mean, you have to almost come to grips and be okay with messing up. Now, don't intentionally mess sure. up, but it's going to happen. And knowing that in the back of my mind going, I might screw this up. I, we might fail on this, but you know what? We'll learn something. And you're not going to give up. And I'm not going to give up. Example, so I just went down to a conference last week. I ended up renting a car, which I usually never do, but I ended up renting a car because my truck headlight went out and Graham has an idea. Their engineer doesn't know how. He's not a car system. guy. I know he's not a car guy, but... You, to change a light bulb in a ram, just to give you an idea how this works, is you actually have to go through the wheel, unhook it, then you got to open the hood, remove the whole grill, then you have access to the headlight, remove the whole headlight just to get access to the light bulb. It's the dumbest thing in the world. You, right? have, you just pop it off and plug it back in. That would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew that, and I didn't have time to go through all of that. And so I rented a vehicle just two days ago. I come back and I had some some just bearings replaced in it while I was gone. I said, you guys, worked out for me. So I got back and just a couple of days ago, my I'm coming home from doing a bathroom remodel. I'm coming home from Menards and I'm like, man, something smells like it's smoking, like it stinks. I'm like, somebody's burning something. And I finally get home and I get out of the truck and I look back there. My driver's side caliper is just smoking. And I was like, oh, I bet that froze up. So sure enough, took it to get it fixed. They fixed it yesterday for me. But on the way up there, I was like, you know what? I could, back in my younger days, you know, I would have been just instantly triggered, right? And now I'm like, going back to perspective, I was like, you know what? I'm actually so thankful I now rented that car because I don't like renting cars and I can drive my own, right? I'm like, oh, glad I rented that car. That could have happened to me going down there on the way back. And, you know, I could have gone south really quick. So I was just sitting there and was like, yeah, thanks God for, you know, letting it all work out in a just different mindset. So I could have been mad for a couple of days, which back in my younger days, I would have been right. But it just goes back to that whole being just in the right mindset of, yeah. of what really matters. You're prioritizing. Yeah. But that's hard for some people like, you know, and this is another thing I was going to bring up, but prioritizing for certain people is a lot different because of what they've been through. You know, there's I've had some experiences that allow me to prioritize my relationship with my wife and my brothers differently than I used to. 
And, you know, I, the business finances, they, it's ever evolving, right? But, you know, I guess one of the things that I find to be impressive is when people get to choose their priorities versus their past choosing their priorities, because so often we're all broken people, brother. Yep. So often our brokenness is what steers the wheel. It is what tilts the sail to our future. We are constantly either running from or compensating from the pain of our past, which then rearranges our priorities. Well, if we grew up broke and you're embarrassed wearing hand-me-downs or getting boxes from churches or having the free lunches or whatever, you're going to relentlessly pursue financial freedom. If you, your parents went through an ugly divorce and it really did a number on your family, you're going to be relentlessly committed to your spouse. If your father died from heart disease, you're going to be relentless committed to ongoing and ongoing, right? It's your experiences have so much to do with priority or how hard it is to make something a priority. And, you know, I really do think this comes down to something you talk about too, and just your networking community, like your community ends up modeling a lot of your priorities. Like oftentimes you're not going to be right. If you really prioritize finances, you're not going to really be that good of friends with somebody who isn't right. Naturally speaking, right. Especially in older relationships in life. My, my question to throw back to you is this man. Priority priorities aren't always natural. Correct. Sometimes they're cultivated, but oftentimes they're cultivated because, Oh crap look at all this bad fruit. I haven't been spending enough time with my kids. I haven't been spending enough time in my business really financially planning and making my business sustainable, evergreen. I, whatever the case might be, I've been neglecting my health and he, now I'm dealing with this you know, problem with this, that, or the other. How do you find a priority when it's not stressing you out now? Because typically stress ends up being the reason why people prioritize. Ah, I got to change this. This is not good. This is not in a good place. I got to fix this. Yep. That becomes a priority. How can somebody make the right things a priority? Even if they, it wasn't modeled for them. You know what I mean? So it, it's work, right? I mean, anything worth having, there's going to take some intentional work involved in it. I think for me, probably the number one thing that I do that I think re reduces stress in my life is I don't know if it's just God's gift for me, but it's, I'm always thankful. Like mm -hmm. I wake up, I'm thankful. There it is, brother. You, it's, I read a study one time that I think it was, and you can't quote me 100% on this, but it, I think it was, you almost cannot be depressed if you're thankful throughout the day. It, you just, it's oil and water. It does, it can't happen. Like, you know, and there's a lot of depression as a lot of people will focus on the negative in their life. I choose to focus on the positive. My truck, right? Yep. Stunk that I had to pay 500 some dollars to get a whole new, you know, brake system in there. But you know what? I was thankful. I could have chose to be bitter about it. But I was thankful that it didn't happen going down to Nashville. I was thankful that, hey, I got the money in the bank. That, you know what? There's a lot of people that couldn't afford a, I can't remember what the stats are, just scary. I look uh, in our country all the time too. that like, I can't remember it was like 50 to 60% of Americans can't even, wouldn't even be able to handle a $1,000 emergency, like emergency. That's insane. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, it goes back to, they weren't intentional with their finances. So I think a lot of it is just going back to being positive. You know, I can, I can choose everybody's gets choice, right? I can choose to be whatever. I can choose to be mad about this or mad about the situation. And, or I can say, oh, 
hey, thanks God for this. Or, you know what? I'm really grateful this, you know, and I try and again, I try and be intentional even with my wife and my kids is all the time. Tell them I love them, you know, and even ask my little ones. I'm like, does dad tell you he loves you too much? And they're like, nope. And it's like, and it's like a multiple days, like even randomly, I'm so used to doing it that my 10 year old or even my eight year old will randomly go, love you, dad. They're in the other room. I'm walking by, you know? Yeah. And my 18 year old, you would think 18 year old would be embarrassed. He's on the phone and his friends are around. He's like, all right, love you, dad. I'm like, I don't know if I would have done that when I was, but just that being intentional of, you know, this year was, is I try and choose a word for the year this year is excellence for me just oh, I be you ex- that. yeah yeah just in this case just be excellent in everything you do no matter what it is and i think a lot of that is just being where your feet are you know yeah i could be worried about business i could be worried about your business i could be worried about what something happens if my kids get sick you know all this stuff that you know i could be worrying about I, whatever the stat was and it's like 96 percent of things that you worry about never happen yeah but people will focus on that 4%. 100%. Like, uh, I, cho- I choose to not focus on that. It, and the funny thing is, if you really think about it, the and everybody's chasing that 1%. 1% of salespeople, 1% of business owners, 1% of the highly successful, right? What do they do different than the 99? And really, if you boil it down, they just don't let the ball go backwards. They just try and move the ball closer and closer right? Do a little bit more, be a little bit better, but really don't go backwards. Most people are letting the ball keep moving backwards because they're, you know, I'll start working out next week. Okay. Next week happens. I'll start doing that. It's that whole compounding effect. Yeah. hundred percent. No, I love the answer, man. And what I hear you saying is that, you know, in order to, I guess, one, to find the healthy priorities, just a small dose of gratitude can help really find what really matters. And I think in doing so, our culture is actually counterproductive in this conversation because it forces us to be busy, to be distracted, to have something in our ear, something in front of our face. And we never can slow down and be quiet enough to truly consider what there is to be grateful for. And whether that's through social media, seeing what you can have or what somebody else has or comparison, whatever the case might be, there's a lot of disruption of just stillness And I believe stillness can happen on the move. And what I mean by that is this, you don't need to sit in a room quietly meditating with some freaking incense for six hours at a time. But what you do need is a posture, a heart posture, a perspective of saying, everything's going to be okay. I'm grateful for what I have now. And naturally, like you refer to water and oil, what means the most will come to your mind the most when you're constantly grateful. And I think that's a great way to set priority. And I, I love that you just laid that all out and created the arena for that kind of conversation. The other thing I think I hear you say as well is when it comes to prioritization, it's so much less of just what you feel and what your emotions tell you. And it's so much more about what you commit to and intentionally building the life that you want. Because I think so many people, and I can really see the difference between a lot of people who have ideas or don't have any dreams and they kind of just find a job it takes care of their family that's fine they're providing yep but then i you know a lot of my friends or people i interview in the podcast they're like no i need to build something i need to leave a legacy there's so much more intentionality there right and so much of that just comes from priority that's just not the person that's maybe working in the factory providing for their family's priority right 
And oftentimes it comes from, again, the past and all of these things. But what I hear you saying as well is it is so much more an act. Prioritization is not just a mental list. It's not just something written down in your notebook. It is the act of divvying your time and capacity for the things that mean the most to build the life that you want. Not wait on it, not sit back and hope for it, but to build the life you want. And I love that. I love the intentionality that you say there, that you're speaking about there. Let's pivot, man, and let's talk about your business. You know, I wanted, I would love the audience just to know what you're doing and why you're doing it, essentially, and breaking that down in the sense of what does it look like to work with you as, you know, a service provider? So when I was in wealth management, pretty much I did it as like, even though as the manager, wealth manager, I do it as coach. So I was really focused on coaching my clients on on their options, flexibility and all that good stuff. So now what we're doing is we're really trying to focus on the exit planning. There's eight key drivers to selling a business. Um, again, even if you're not going to sell or you have no plans on selling, eventually there's going to be a transition. You know, yeah. whether you transition out, you give it to a child or you sell it internally or However, there's going to be a transition whether you want to or not. It might need, might not even be you. It might be your spouse because something happened and you passed away. Right. So now we look at setting up a business and like you said, showing the blind spots. And I'd say 99% of the clients that we work with, the blind spot is the owner themselves. Mm-hmm. Is, is really, again, focusing on their business as an asset. You know, having that healthy boundary of it's not my baby. It's not, you know, you might love what you're doing, but again, it's an asset. You're not going to probably miss a kid's baseball game or basketball game, football game to review your 401k. Right. And I'll be honest. So we had 15 years wealth management. We'd have clients that it was like pulling teeth just to try and come and have a review for 30 minutes. So they spent less time planning for retirement. And this is another stat that most people spend less time planning for their retirement, not just business owners, but planning for retirement than they do a two-week vacation. Wow. You know, and that's usually... They spend less time planning their retirement than they do a two-week vacation. Yep. Spend more time on a two-week vacation planning for that than they do for their retirement, usually 20, 30 years in retirement. Just worried about what's in front of us. Yep. that's They don't... And yet you're paying somebody to, to manage that and you don't care about it. Not that you don't care about it, right? It's just, it's not a priority. But a business owner, their business usually is their priority. The downside is they just totally neglected a lot of other things along the way. So a lot of what I'm doing is coaching on, hey, we got to get the business to where, you know, you could get offers. I'm not saying you have to take the offer, but you could. What happens win something because something's going to happen, right? You're going to have that transition. So would you rather set it up? And if you can give me three years, that'd be even better because then we can really, you know, spotlight a bunch of key areas of what does the business need? Because the business is the asset, right? And then we also kind of focus on the business owner. If we're taking care of the business, the owner should be taken care of too, because we're trying to remove them and have systems in place and things in place that they aren't working 80 hours. They shouldn't be working 80 hours. Right. If they have a one-off, okay, that's fine. But if it's a consistent, you're working 80 hours, then there's a problem. My job's coming in. Okay, where's the problem? What do we need to do to fix that? Okay. But you know, you, you said something earlier, which I think is really important to point out too, is that 
this is not just a conversation for people getting ready to retire or sell because the transition is always inevitable for business owners. Whether that is, hey, listen, you killed it. You wrote it off into the sunset, but now it's time for you to not be quite so deeply involved. And maybe you can you run it 100% and then whatever, and you own it until the day you die. Well, somebody needs to transition into ownership at that point, in the best case scenario, right? Or you exit, or quite frankly, what you do is you minimize the risk of a company, which should be everybody's goal financially. That should be everybody's goal. So I think, you know, it, it's it, when I consider, you know, exit planning, I think, oh, somebody who's older in age, mm -hmm. they're probably around 50s, 60s, maybe 70s, and they're ready to cash out on their life's work. Yep. And that's just not the case because now that we're working together, not because we're planning for a sale, but because you're helping Holy Hill see the blind spots to be able to create, again, I use this word a lot recently, but vitality of the company. It's finding a, a way to always make sure that ball is rolling forward, not backward. And so I just wanted to point that out because anybody and everybody who owns a business should be having those conversations. Yeah. And if you're sitting there going, and if I've got somebody across the table from me saying, hey, where can you help me? If they're telling me, hey, I'm trying to, I need to sell this business in six months, there's nothing I can do. I mean, very little. You're at a fire sale. Right. If you haven't set this stuff up, because usually it's, I've got a health issue, something's going on. And so that's really, it, it just boils down to setting it up the right way at the beginning or yeah. as close to the beginning as you possibly can. Because, and there's been multiple studies on this, but roughly two out of 10 businesses that are in a transition, whether it's retirement, selling, all that good stuff, only two out of 10 actually get an offer, okay? That doesn't mean two out of 10 actually sell. Yeah, so let's just say your business is worth $100,000 just for easy math, and I come in and go, I'm gonna give you an offer. So you're one of the two of 10, but I'm gonna give you an offer of $30,000. You're probably not gonna take that, right? Right. So it doesn't mean that the that your business sold. You got an offer, you're one of the two of 10. Gotcha. So you look at that, and it's all about risk, managing risk. I guess that's probably one going back from wealth management, it's always managing risk, right? How much risk are you willing to accept? And even though you might not be wanting to sell, right? The business could be worth X, million, 5 million, 10 million, doesn't really matter. Whatever that business is worth, when you go to sell, if you're still part of it, you usually command more if you have it set up right. right. If you pass away and your spouse is now going to be selling, well, the value just dropped tremendously that was in the in the wealth management world right if you set it up right you could usually get depending on fee structure and all that good stuff you could get by two to three and a half times revenue okay pretty good if you pass away and your spouse has to sell that business you get about 0.5 percent wow or not pipe foot 0.5 times revenue so you get half of the revenue wow and the reason is as a advisor and i'm buying that book of business the owner just passed away, so there's no easy transition. I'm now buying that. There's no guarantee risk. There's no guarantee that those clients are going to stay with me. I might only get 10% of them, right? So it's, and sometimes, and I've seen it sometimes, I looked at businesses in the past to even buy, and I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't pay anything for that. I, you know, that business doesn't, it, it doesn't make fire. sense. It, it really is. It, yeah, you know, you see that all, all across, even farms, you know, if there's a fire sale because you know, estate taxes or something like that comes in and we need to sell because we're land rich, cash poor. You know, we didn't have anything set up. Usually insurance would take care of that. We didn't have that set up because well, we can't afford insurance. Yeah. 
you know? So it's just thinking about just that type of thing. And with that too, I think, you know, it's interesting because that planning process, going back to your earlier point, ends up being a catch-up conversation. Yeah. Oftentimes. And I, and I think it's important to, you know, just for the listeners to hear this, like earlier the better to have these conversations for minimizing risk. And also in that conversation, it's not putting too much value, not relying on one person to be the ultimate access for the company because you know even when we did our assessments i remember you were walking me through saying hey listen the less your business relies on you to grow the better off your business is going to be come time to sell when you're 80 whatever years old right and i think there's so much that has to do with the equity of a company that is just a good telling sign of the quality and sustainability and the ability to grow as a company it's not just for selling it's knowing where you stand and where the weak points are in your business and again i've been harping on that but i just believe i don't even know if you want to take clients on that aren't ready to sell but i think it's important for people yeah. to have that conversation early on yeah and absolutely and i actually like that spot where you're not looking at selling it's hey let's start getting your business in a position that if something happened i mean because you get the terrible diagnosis or your spouse does wouldn't it be a whole lot less stressful knowing that <laughs> knowing that you know what? My business is ready for sale, even though I wasn't planning on it, if I need to. Or better yet, I can walk away because that's my, one of my ultimate jobs is being able to have any business owner I'm working with, eventually through a lot of work, is if something happened and you had to step away for three months, your business will do as good, if not better, with you not in it. Yeah. Okay. Now, as a buyer, again, because I'm trying to get from the get out of the seller's mentality, get the buyer. From a buyer, I'm going, I like that business. And you mentioned our assessment. The one assessment gives you a score on on your business. And it's one zero technically to 100. And 80 to 100 is in our green, right? So if you land in that green area, most businesses that actually get an offer roughly that sell get about three and a half times EBITDA. So they're the revenue roughly. So get three and a half times that. If you get what we've done, and there's, I think there's been 70,000 businesses that's gone through this, the questionnaire, and we've got sales and records of all of this stuff. But if you get into the green area, so 80 or higher in, the, in our score, then our average goes to 7.1%. Times revenue, you're saying? Yeah. So basically, the national average 3.5 goes to 7.1 if you fix those certain areas. Wow. So over double. Wow. And... It's worth it. And it, one is worth it, but from a financial standpoint, but I kind of think a little differently. So I go back to what's your stress worth? You know, what is your stress worth? If you could take three months off and your business actually does better than take three months off, right? Yeah. You get out of the way. There, there's a saying, if you walk into a room and you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong, wrong room, room, right? It took me a long time, especially when I was younger, to get out of the fact that I can do it better. Like, you know what? There's people out there that can do it a whole lot better than me. So get out. I mean, even what we're doing now is we're looking at doing mastermind groups as part of our thing. I've got this guy that is going to be doing, running our mastermind for us. And again, all about network, all about connections. He actually has his, one of his personal clients is worth four point, I think $2 billion. Would it be? Billy? B. Billy Club. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 
And he's going to be running our mastermind. That's a different pair of shoes right there. Yeah. He, he's done consulting for Microsoft. He Abbott Labs. I mean, top 50 companies, right? And he's going to be... It, listen, I don't... I like to think I'm pretty good, but I'm going, I can't touch that. I'll let him do it. You know what? My clients will benefit more from him doing it. And that speaks to your priority. Your priority isn't to just be the main stage. It's no. to see your vision come to fruition. And that to me, man, I admire it. I respect it. It speaks to self-awareness. It speaks to the self-confidence because self-confidence is not inflated ego. Self-confidence is knowing what you are truly good at and making room for others in the areas that you're not. And the self-awareness that I have seen, and again, another consistent point that I've seen, I think I even hit on this this episode maybe, but the one of the most consistent characteristics I've seen of successful business owners that I've been able to interview is self-awareness they are just brutally honest with themselves in the sense that they know what they're good at they know what they're not and they like to position people to be better than them in the areas that they're better than them at and i think that does so much including makes room for capacity for you to be more excellent in the areas that you're gifted in it gives you less things to stress about i mean we have a strategic business advisor right now as a consultant and one of the things that I've realized is I've come to the awareness that I am very much a starter. I'm a salesman. I'm a vision guy. Um, I love motivating my team. I love getting them to see where we could be. But I also am aware that efficient systems and scalable systems is something I could do. I can get by with it. But if I do that, it's going to take me away from the things I'm gifted in. And it's going to, I'll be sitting in somebody else's seat when somebody more gifted could be in that area. So I just think self-awareness plays such a fundamental role in successful entrepreneurship that a lot of people are undermining because they're supposed to be all things to all people, which is just not sustainable. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. That's good. Right? It, it, so any business owner. That's good. Just, just because you can doesn't mean you should. That's good. I mean, there's a lot of things that I can, I can run electrical and things, but I'm not certified in it. So just because I can... Doesn't mean I probably should, <laughs> right? I mean, just things like that. Just because I can sell doesn't mean I probably should be the one selling or just because I can coach going back to my mastermind guy, you know, it's going to be more beneficial to my clients so I can check my ego. Go, listen, guys, I would love to do it because I enjoy discussion. I enjoy, you know, throwing the ball out there. Okay, who's going to, you know, who's going to run with it? And then, but he's been doing it for 30 years. Hey, you know what? We'll have coffee together, you know, and talk. You get in that mastermind because it, it'll just be more beneficial. And at the end of the day, my ego means nothing. It, I care about my clients and I care about pretty much care about them. Their business is just a secondary. You know, if we take care of that, it's going to take care of the priority. Exactly. I mean, honestly, I love that. I love that. I love that. You, yeah, because the business is just the asset. It's not a part of their body. Yes. It's not a part of their soul. And it doesn't always have to be a part of your future. You know it, what I mean? Correct. So I love that, man. Well, you've dropped some freaking bombs in here, man. I think that we've kind of, we've got a, a master class in, in, first of all, developing an intentional character, which is absolutely huge. My buddy JP that works for Sackcloth and Ashes right now, and he's been doing some consulting for us too. He said yesterday, he's like, your goals are to relentlessly protect. And I, I could have sworn I heard some Transformers like theme song going on in the background. He's like, your goals are to relentlessly protect your community, your cash flow, and your character. 
And I was just like, you know what? You're right. Community cash flow character. And then, I don't know, it just it resonated with me because your character is the axis in which your business cycles, man. Because what happens is who you are ends up affecting your systems, your team, your services, your customer relationships, your reputation. And so that's so important. And I'm so glad we got to touch on that because that is very close and tied to financial outcome as well. Yep. You know, and on and on and on, man. So you've dropped some bombs. I'm super grateful for it, man. I appreciate the financial advice too, man. Let's leave off with, do you have any piece of advice for young entrepreneurs or young and business entrepreneurs who are really trying to take it the long way? They're in it for the long haul. They're not just, hey, let's go make a hundred thousand and then a million and let's cash out and drive a Bentley. Like the people who are really trying to create an asset, mm-hmm. a lasting asset, not saying that those things are bad, but the people that are focused and their priorities are different. They're committed to a lasting asset. What do you have for them? And after that as well, how can people get a hold of you to ask you more information? So they can definitely go check out the website and we're revamping that. Like you guys are revamping that for me. And so they can definitely check out the website. I'm on LinkedIn. But I will say for any entrepreneur, yeah. especially startups, networking is huge, right? Character is good as well. And I, I tell my kids this too, and I've told a lot of clients this too, but really you're one relationship away from a different life. And if you think about that, it can go good or bad, right? There's consequences for everything. There's good consequences and there's bad consequences. There's going to be a consequence to this. So bad consequence, you're one relationship away from a different life. We're both married. We go decide we're going to go to the bar. Again, not necessarily bad, but you know, from my experience and I did a lot of, I I did a lot of bar hopping when I was younger, but you know, I run into some girl and that now might turn into a relationship and that relationship is going to change my relationship with my wife. I have a different life. I'm divorced. I'm whatever, right? That's a bad, I, from the business standpoint, I take on a partner that I probably shouldn't have taken on or even a referral network thing that's like, ooh, their character's probably not the best, but I'm looking at the dollar signs, short-term gain, long-term loss, right? Flip side, now the good stuff, right? So this would be like good partnerships. You partner with the person that you should be partnered with. Your business flourishes. And you were alluding to it earlier when we were talking that if, if you look at any great thing that's ever been built. I haven't seen where it's been one person building that great thing. That's good. That's right. I think that's by design. You know, I think it's like a, almost like a God thing to where, and I've internally done this for myself is if I build it myself, then God didn't help me or nobody else helped me. Steve did it himself. Right. So it's almost of a protection going, you know, if you want something great, you're going to have to partner with somebody, however that looks. There's a lot of different ways. So I would say networking is your big, be choosy on who you're spending your time with, right? Well, uh, the Bible, the Proverbs, you know, the company of fools. If you spend time with wise, you become wise. If you spend time with fools, you suffer harm. It doesn't say you become a fool. You suffer harm. You go hanging out with somebody drinking and driving. Doesn't mean you're going to become an alcoholic. Doesn't mean, but you know what? If they're driving, Suffer the harm. You might get in a car accident. You could have been totally sober. Guess what? You might be in the hospital. They might be fine. That's good. So it's just, I would say, networking and being careful, guarding, like, like you said, JP told you, character. 
guard that character. You know, check your ego, guard your character, and network with people that will make you better and kind of stretch you. Yeah. But not bring them down. Right. The accountability is there. Yeah. Well, you guys heard it, man. Do good business with good people. Brother, I appreciate you coming on, giving us your wisdom. I think that, you know, your position for greatness, man. And so I had to get you on the podcast, man. I appreciate everything you've poured into Holy Hill and just in me personally so far. I'm excited to continue working with you, brother. Thanks yeah. for coming on today. Absolutely. Talk appreciate to you it. Soon, brother.